Let's talk more about the Hawks' decision to fire Nate McMillan and bring in our Hawks guru, Jason Walker, at Jason Walker NBA. This couldn't have been a surprise. I think you were with us that you probably thought this was going to happen after the season, but it was obvious from Landry's comments today, those two games before the All-Star break, the two pathetic performances were kind of the last straw. That He just felt like he had to make the move now, didn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, you don't want this to drag on and make and have even more negative news. It's not like they're going to go out and hire a new coach and stack money on top of uh, on top of what Nate was already owed. They're going to, uh, you know, they're going to finish out the season with the staff they have. So, you know, it, it made sense. You definitely didn't want any more drama. Look what's already spinning around tonight today with all the talk about Trey Young and. And Nate, and you really wanted to drag that through the second half of the year. While, by the way, you're trying to compete to make the playoffs, and those last two games were just, um, you know, a flashpoint on how bad things had gotten uh, when it comes from coach uh, to players on the floor. Why do you think Nate McMillan did not work with this group? Well, I think it was real clear after the, the the conference finals run where he was basically using Lloyd Pierce's playbook and the assistant coaches that were on were really Lloyd Pierce's, and, and he took over. You know, he coached like he coaches. I mean, this is not a surprise that Nate McMillan was going to run a very ISO-heavy uh, type offense, and, you know, he just wasn't going to run a modern offense. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. And the Hawks still excel, though. Let's make that point. The Hawks were still great, and you could argue whether that was because of the the system or it was because of Trey Young. I certainly would vote on the latter. Uh, that uh, you know that that the team you know was highly successful, efficient efficient wise, but it was just not not going to work. The, the, he he Travis Schlank was always going to work with bringing young kids in. His strength was in the draft and. And, uh, you know, Nate struggled with that. I mean, we saw with the addition of Sadiq Bey, Jalen Johnson, who had played so well uh, uh, up to that point, wasn't playing anymore. And I think that was one of those things in those last two games that was really highlighting things is that you were seeing Aaron Holiday being the first guy off the bench. And and you just weren't seeing the growth and the development that a younger team should, should have under Nate. That's not the coach Nate is. And, we could rewind all the way back to when you and I talked about the, the fact that they kind of had to hire Nate, even though we knew it wasn't a – his style with Portland and Indiana wasn't the same thing. But, heck, they went to the finals and turned it around 27-11 with Nate you know, manning the helm. We certainly didn't see the, the, the switch in the assistant coaches, and, and things just went back to that. And after two years of treading water, as we call it right here on this show – uh, they had to make a move yep. at that point. All right. So uh, we, we know they are going to go ahead and start talking to people, talking to Quinn Snyder. They can't talk to people who are one of the other staffs uh, for obviously real reasons for several weeks. Uh, I, I mean, I guess they could approach the Warriors about Kenny Atkinson and see if they could go ahead and talk with him if they wanted to. But but uh, what do you hope we see in these final 20-some-odd games of the regular season? 
Well, for number one, first and foremost, you want to see Trey Young, uh, you know, step forward and be a leader on the team again. Outwardly, uh, it was very clear that whatever was going on was impacting Trey's persona on the court. His play was still spectacular, but you you want to see Trey Young with some pep in his step and leading this team into the postseason with some momentum, uh, much like they did when they let Lloyd Pierce go. But this time would be different because you, you don't the Hawks are not going to go the same path they had last time, which was you know just feeling like they have to hire the person that turned it around. I think that's what they want. What you want to see though, you want to see the uh, Trey Young reestablish himself, the whole team kind of playing with more pep in the step, uh, better you know more more efficient offense as well as defensive effort. They're just like we kind of saw where the Hawks were a top five offense in a middle-of-the-road defense when they made it to the conference finals two years ago. That's what you're hoping to see uh, now and, and begin the healing process from what was a very rough season and a half. Is Trey Young a coach killer? No. No. It's, you can ask that of every star, all-star player uh, in the league with the, for the last 25 years, with maybe the exception of Tim Duncan that every star is going to, at some point, when they're not succeeding at the level that they're expecting to succeed, you have to kind of look. It's much easier to acquire a coach that is uh, that, that, could, that could get the team higher than it is to acquire an all-NBA caliber player. So, no, I, I don't see it that way. Lord Pierce was always going to be a, a, a first couple of years coach. We knew that uh, when, when they hired him. Uh, and Nate was a, a matter of, uh, of circumstances we kind of just talked about uh, on there. So, no, Trey Young's not a, not a coach killer. Now, does he have some culpability around the immaturity in which things are handled? Certainly. Certainly. I mean, you can't ignore the, what the stories that come out uh, about that. Trey is learning how to be a star in the NBA. He's a very young guy. And um, certainly he has some culpability in how things are handled day to day, but no, not a coach killer. Jason Walker, our guest, talking about the Atlanta Hawks situation. You knew that had to be asked, but let's also move on to this now. Uh, of the candidates that have been mentioned, who do you think would be the best person to step into this job? Well, oh, you know, I think uh, you, I know Quinn Snyder's name has been been there, and certainly to love what he did in Utah, and he's in that Budenholzer tree. And certainly we like the way that the Hawks looked when playing you know, under Mike Budenholzer, and, and you, you want to get back to that. But also Kenny Atkinson did a great job with, with Spencer Dinwiddie. And, and you know, he did a great job with the, with the Brooklyn Nets when he, was, when he was there. And really, I think a lot of people thought was, you know, that he got big-timed out of that. Uh, that they couldn't feel like, like they couldn't coach at that level. But I think he could coach at a Budenholzer level. And, uh, and I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping, uh, hoping for there. And there's just a, you know, a lot of fellows in that tree, uh, you know, leave with the Bucks, and, and, and that could be great. I would like to see someone with already had coaching experience. This is not a roster where you learn on the job of Charles Lee or somebody like that. If they went with that, I, I wouldn't have any problem with it. It just wouldn't be my – my preference. So you, you want to see someone like, you know, Quinn Snyder or Kenny Atkinson uh, coming in at this point. There's no, no time to learn. 
I'm with you. I agree 100. percent And and I uh, I like both of them. I won't be disappointed. I'd give it a little bit of an edge to to Snyder. But Snyder, I, I think when Snyder was uh, when he left Utah last year, which surprised some, but when he did leave. Uh, There were some that felt that he had kind of hit a brick wall with Utah and couldn't get over that hump. But uh, what, what, were, what was his reputation for, for developing talent, since that's going to be part well, of this situation? Right. I mean, you, you saw Dennis Mitchell come in and, and become an all-NBA player. Uh, you know, you saw players in. In fact, he was willing to let players like Derek Favors go or, or play less minutes when they weren't as – to get the most effectiveness out of his veterans. Uh, that that he could have, and it, you know you weren't seeing the. Of course, they always drafted late in the first round because they were playing so well. Um, you know, so it, there wasn't a lot of those in there. But if you look at how they played, um, you know, with with uh, with Mitchell there, this clearly a coach that understood how to be able to get a lot out of it. No, by the way, they had a, an anchor center <laughs> in Gobert, and they were they managed to run offenses and score points, Bill. So. Uh, you know, I know we think that a lot. We laugh about Clint Capella and how limited he is, he is on the offensive end, and how that does have a down, you know, a downhill effect with guys like John Collins and and uh, you know and, and players like that. But Snyder found a way to be to be able to do that. Um, so I mean, you know, I, I I don't think that there's any there's nothing about Quinn Snyder that that says he wouldn't play Jalen Johnson or or AJ Griffin. Uh, in, in key spots. I think we did see that with Utah. Yeah, and whereas when Nate McMillan got the job, I think we knew right off the bat he was not going to be very favorable to, to young players. All right, uh, Jason, good yeah. stuff. Thank you so very much. We appreciate it. We will see what happens when they get started on Friday against Cleveland. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, Bill.